Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. It's an honor to be here. Jamie, thank you for this amazing opportunity. Um, I was supposed to preach in May, but COVID happened. So I'm thankful that the Lord has done more in me since then. And so I actually think the message is better now than it would have been in May. And so as Claire said, my name is Will and I'm on staff here at Antioch Fort Worth in the missions arm. And I wanna thank my parents and my in-laws for coming in from Dallas. And I just want to say, I am the richest guy in the world. Not because I have a lot of money or possessions, but because of relationships. I am so blessed that at almost 40 years old, I can say, I actually enjoy spending time with my parents and I enjoy spending time with my in-laws. And I have the most amazing family in the whole world. This is my family. So my two boys, there's Caleb standing by Elizabeth and I'm holding Mark. They're back in the kids area, but my two girls are here in the room. And Anna, I just wanna say I love you. Thank you for making me a dada. Thank you for your joy, your heart for worship and prayer. It makes me love Jesus more. And Elizabeth, I love you. I really, really love you. Thank you for everything you've done for our family over these past few months. Our family is as healthy as it is because of you. Thank you. So I want to say, I am not a hero. You're going to be hearing some things that God's done in me and through me, but I'm not a hero. I'm just a normal person like you, trying as best I can to seek Jesus every day. So I just want you to know that, that your story matters just like my story matters. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified. King Jesus, be lifted up in this place. Get me out of the way so that people can see you and experience you. And God, I pray that every single person that's hearing my voice whether they're in this room right now or they're worshiping with us online, they would have an encounter with you and they would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered how you ended up in a situation? Like really paused and been like, how did I end up here? I know that anybody that knew me growing up in high school or college is like, how is Will here? doing this. I'm asking the same thing. How did I end up here? But what I've found is we need to constantly pause and look back at our lives and see the hundreds, if not thousands, of little yeses that we've said that shape us and direct us to where we are right now. So the main thing that I'm trying to say today is you and I are invited into his story to see Jesus glorified throughout the world by living a life of faith, by being personally devoted to Jesus, being involved in Christian community, 
knowing our identity and knowing his character. And so the four points that I have today, and you'll hear these interwoven as throughout my story, is number one, we need to be personally devoted to Jesus. Number two, we need to be involved in Christian community. We're not meant to do it alone. We're all called to go, and we need to know his identity and our identity. And so I'm going to start off reading a verse that has meant so much to my family over these past few months, Psalm 126.3, which says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I can say God is good, period. He is always good. I can say over the past 20 years of following Jesus, I have seen God do more than I ever thought was possible. I've had more powerful encounters with God than I ever thought was possible. But we need to constantly be reminding ourselves and others what God has done in us and through us. We need to be encouraged. We need to be remembering what God has done. So a little about me. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm so thankful that my parents brought us to church every Sunday. And so I grew up with a foundation of hearing about God. At the earliest age, I don't even remember when, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I knew that he was the only way to heaven. And by the grace of God... I don't remember a day of my life that I didn't believe those two things. For as long as I can remember, I've always known that Jesus is my Savior and that he's the only way to heaven. But somehow, I missed out that Jesus wants to be more than just Savior. He wants to be Lord, and he wants to be friend as well, and hundreds of other things. But the the key things about Lord and friend, they're different than Savior. Because if he's a savior, and he is, then he saves us one time, and it's easy to believe the mindset of, oh, I'm saved, and now he's up there, I'm down here, and it's all on you, it's all on me to, to work out our process of looking more like Jesus. But if he's Lord, and he is Lord, that means we are giving him permission to speak into everything and say, Jesus, you're the boss. Whether the thing seems spiritual or not, Jesus is Lord, and he's friend, and that's needed to know that he doesn't just save us, or he's not just a boss that's a taskmaster, that he loves us, that he desires relationship with us, and so knowing this is key to make it for the long haul, and so unfortunately, because I was not aware of how good he is and that he desires relationship with me, I grew, I was insecure growing up, because I didn't know my identity, and I didn't know who he was. And so in high school, well, actually in college, God supernaturally led me to Baylor University. Sick him. <laughs> and so I remember that it was the summer before my senior year of high school, and my, my sweet mom was like, Will, let's drive down from Dallas, go visit Baylor, and I had a bad attitude. I was like, no, I don't want to do it. But my sweet mom, she persevered, and she got me to go. And I remember having a bad attitude the entire drive down I-35, just not having a good attitude. But when we pulled into the parking lot at Baylor, 
we opened the door. I stepped out. When my foot hit the parking lot, peace filled my body. It just whoosh. And I remember thinking, oh, that's different. Because I had a bad attitude for an hour and a half drive down. And then in a moment, my attitude shifted and peace was filling my body. This was the first time in hindsight, looking back, that I remember God was speaking to me and inviting me into his story. And then in college, I encountered a people that changed my life, that marked me. They loved God outwardly more than anyone I'd ever seen. They loved people more than anyone I'd ever seen. And it marked me. But I want you to know, their expression for how they loved God and how they did church was different than how I had been raised or what I perceived God could do. And that's okay, because I was being challenged. I was being stretched. But what I, what I realized was I was drawn to this community because of the love that they were showing for God and for people and the presence of God. So let's be people that are marked by love and the presence of God. And in this time, like I said, I was very insecure because I didn't know my identity, much less about God's character. I just thought I was ordinary, like an ordinary guy, average in all the ways. Um, and it didn't lead me to success because it's like building my house on sand because I wasn't confident and secure. But when we build our character, when we build our identity in who God says we are, that's a rock. That's a firm foundation that we can stand on no matter what. And one of the first times that I remember God being like, Will, I'm inviting you into my story, was we went on a mission trip in college to Juarez, Mexico, and we were going out one day to share the gospel, to pray for the sick, to do those kingdom things. And I remember, supernaturally, God had protected a thought in my heart. Because I grew up in a church that didn't talk about the power of God, that didn't talk about miracles still being for today. But I remember thinking, God, you're God. You can do whatever you want. Who am I to box you in into what you can or cannot do? And so I supernaturally had faith that God could heal. But I didn't think he would use me because I'm just an ordinary guy. And so I remember I, was go I went up to this person. They said they had pain in their hand. So I laid hands on them and I prayed a simple prayer, something like, Jesus come, Jesus heal. I don't remember what. But I remember when I said, amen, the person said, no dolor, no dolor, no dolor. No pain, no pain, no pain. I think I was more surprised than the other person, the person that got healed. <laughs> because I was like, wait, God used me? God can use me? And he can, because it's about him. It's not about you, it's not about me. We need to fall in love with Jesus because the more we do that, the more we realize it's about him and not about us. And so during these college years, I was transformed by developing the discipline and the love of being personally devoted to Jesus. Personally devoted to Jesus. And this included practice such as being discipled, being involved in a life group, but most of all, spending time with Jesus every day. And church, I'm just so excited about this 30 for 30 challenge that we're starting next week. Yeah. 
It's going to change us. I promise you, if you jump into this, it will change your life forever. I can say that confidently. And my encouragement is, if this is a new discipline for you, just start it. And if you miss a day, there's grace. Get up the next day and do it again. Just keep doing it. Keep spending time with Jesus. There were seasons in college where I would spend hours every day with Jesus. Now I realize most of us in this room don't have the space and margin in our schedules to be like, oh, well, I'll take three hours every day with Jesus. If you do, do it. If you don't, that's okay. Just spend the time that you can with him. And as I was spending time with Jesus, I started getting free of sin. I started getting free of insecurity. And I started getting his heart. And I started hearing God speak. Will, I love you. Will, you are my adopted son in whom I'm well pleased. And that started shaping me and changing me. And I can say, as look back at my years in college, this was the most important thing that I've, I learned how to do. More than any class that I took, sorry, mom and dad, that you <laughs> paid money for that for me to fall in love with Jesus, but that's the most powerful thing. It was worth it. And because I can say this, I love Sunday morning gatherings. I love gathering as the church in the body. I love worship. There's only one person in this room right now that has the ability to have Aaron lead worship every morning in front of them. So this is limited. This is limited. I love life group. Life group changes us. Those are important. Let's be people that do those. But those can't be all of our walk with God. We have to be personally devoted to Jesus and learn how to feed ourselves with Jesus so that when we go to life group, when we go to Sunday morning, we have something to give versus just feed me, feed me, feed me. Now, I want, you, I want you to hear me. This doesn't mean by being personally devoted to Jesus that it's all on you or it's all on me. It is okay to be like, I need help. <clears throat> it's okay. One of the great questions that Jamie asks all the time is, what's fresh with, with your walk in the Lord? Our, my devotion life looks different now than it did 20 years ago. And a lot of that reason is because I'm shaped. I learn from other people what they do. And so it, this reminds me of the Chinese proverb, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. If we can learn how to be personally devoted to Jesus and get our needs met in him, we can make it for the long haul. And that's what I want for everyone that's hearing me. A passage that marked me in these days that as I was seeking Jesus, learning how to do it, and still to this day does, is Philippians 2, 3 through 11. And it's on the screen. Do nothing out of, and being, that's, uh, I think, verse 8 and 9. That's good. But I've got it here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, vain, or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also, was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. 
and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This passage marked me because I believe this was Jesus's vision for his life and ministry, where he came not to be served, but to serve. He came down not to be the king, although he is king. He came down humbly to serve. If God in the flesh said, I'm coming down to serve, how much more do you and I need to lay down our lives and be like, it's not about us. It's not about me. So let's live this out. Let's live this out. And one thing that I found interesting, and it's in verse eight and nine, um, it says, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God also ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. I find it interesting that God, the Father, exalted Jesus because he came to serve. He came to lay down his life. It wasn't because he came full of power, full of truth, full of wisdom, although he did come with all those things. God exalted him because he came as a servant. Let that sit in. Jesus was exalted because he came to serve. And Jesus has the name above every other name. So I want you to know whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, Jesus wins. Jesus is more powerful. Yes. And so during this time, I would also go up to the prayer room in Waco and at the time, in their prayer room, they had pictures of all the teams that Waco had sent out that were overseas. And I just started praying for them. Now, I want you to know, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. But I was like, I'll show up because my heart's being changed. And I learned how to pray in that prayer room. I learned how to get a heart for the nations. And God was birthing a heart for the nations, his heart for the nations in me as I prayed. And so my encouragement for you is whatever you're praying for, God will give you a heart for it. Let's keep praying. Let's keep doing it. And as I approached the end of college, I started asking a lot of big questions. I was wrestling with them. What am I going to do with my life? What is the purpose God has for me? And I want you to know, I didn't have answers for it at the time. But I knew I, whatever it was, I'm going to obey whatever Jesus is saying, and I'm going to be connected to a local church. I knew I needed those things. And so my advice to you with whatever big questions you're wrestling with, be devoted to Jesus. Follow him. Obey him. Be involved in Christian community and just obey whatever he's telling you to do. Obey whatever the next thing is, no matter if it's a big step or a little step, if we can stay devoted to Jesus and his church and are just obeying the next thing that he's saying, telling us to do, we'll be okay. And so this next point is for everyone, but in particular to college students. My encouragement for you in these years that you have left in college, learn to fall in love with Jesus. That's good. 
Learn to fall in love with Jesus. Like, really in love with him. Learn how to spend time with him. It's the best investment you can do. More than get a good internship, more than get a good job, more than find a wife or husband, which all those things are good. But if you can learn to fall in love with Jesus and obey him now, you'll set yourself up better. Because I can promise you this. It's hard to obey Jesus on a consistent basis. But college students, it only gets harder. As more responsibility comes on you, it is harder to start the process of learning how to obey him. So my encouragement is learn how to do it now. Learn how to do it now. It's not easy. I wish I could say it's easy. It's not. But the investment in doing that will set you up well for life. Another one of those yeses that I went of just obeying Jesus was after I graduated college, I went on a mission trip with my life group uh, to Indonesia. And it changed me. We basically did what we had been doing in Waco, in the jungles in Indonesia. And in that time, we saw a little church planted, or a little life group planted. And they were drawn to us because they saw a Christian community, which they had never seen before. They experienced the presence of God. And we worked well together. They were drawn to us by our love. And so this was the first time in my life that I actually considered the possibility of vocational ministry. Because I was like, hey, it's fun to do this with friends. And so one just testimony of just the fruit of trusting God. So I went on this mission trip and I came back and I was in a unique situation because I was doing the discipleship school in Waco the year after I graduated, which for context, the discipleship school in Waco at that time was different than what we have here, where it was a day school, which means I can't work full time and do the day school, so I needed a part-time job. So I was in a unique dynamic where I got back from Indonesia and I was like, I need a full-time job for about six or seven weeks, and then it needs to transition to a part-time job. Not the easiest job parameters to find. And this was before Waco was cool. I loved Waco, I love Waco, but this was before it was cool. No one was wanting to go to Waco then. And so it was this unique situation. And so I was trusting God and I had applied to over 40 places and had not heard back from any of them. So God, yes, joy. And so as you can imagine, when you have no money coming in, but money coming out over a period of time, your bank account balance starts dropping. But I was trusting Jesus. And so I remember one day I was at my house and I saw a homeless person walking around my house, which was normal for the house that I lived in. And so I went and started talking to him. And as I was talking to him, I felt God put to mind the verse, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And I was like, okay, God, I can do that. And so I'm friendly. I start talking to this guy. I give him some pants. I give him some socks because he needs that. I buy him a meal at Wendy's. And throughout this whole time, I'm just trying to represent Jesus. And I keep hearing, whatever you do in the least of these, you do unto me. Whatever you do in the least of these, you do unto me. And so I'm letting the voice of God dictate my actions of what I do. 
And so this guy asked me, says, hey, Will, can you buy me a hotel room? And I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I drive over to a cheap hotel because that's what I could afford. Um, and he, we get there and he's like, Will, please don't, let, don't get me a room at this hotel. It's just not safe. It's, there's a lot of drugs and other stuff that I don't want to be a part of. And I'm, keep in mind, I'm hearing the verse, whatever you do in the least of these, you do unto me. So I'm like, okay. So I drive him to a nicer hotel. And when I get there, I feel like God says three nights. And I'm like, okay, God. And I had learned the lesson, and I'm still learning it today, so I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. But I've developed the discipline of like, I need to obey whatever Jesus is saying to the best that I know how to. So we went in, said three nights, gave my credit card, charged it, and I had committed that I would pay off the credit card every month in full. So I get in my car, I put my hands on the steering wheel, and I say, God, I have no idea where that money's coming from, but I trust you. Because at that time, my credit card bill was more than what I had in my bank account. So I needed a miracle. I needed a miracle. You know, I've heard it said, everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants to be in the place where they need a miracle. Well, I was in a place where I'm like, God, I need a miracle. I don't have the money to pay off this credit card bill. And so I was like, okay. And so a few nights later, I went to a different college in Waco to meet with some guys that was in a discipleship group that I was leading, trying to invest in. And I get back to my room that night and there's a stack of cash on my desk. I had not told anyone. I don't think I told anyone that I had gotten the hotel room. Maybe I did. But if I did, I never told anyone the amount. The amount that was on my desk was more than what I paid for the hotel and was enough to be able to pay off the credit card bill. God was showing me that as we step out in faith, he will provide. And so after the discipleship school in Waco, I went on an outreach to some countries in Asia, one of which I moved to that changed my life. And I want you to know, I was not called because I'm the strongest, the most gifted, or the most qualified. In the natural, I was probably the least qualified person to go to this country. And God was just like, I guess I'll use Will. No one else is saying yes. I guess I'll use him. I had a yes in my spirit. And I want you to know, here's why I was the least qualified. I'm very introverted. I like order, consistency, timeliness, punctuality, and beef. And God's like, okay, I'll take this personality, this stuff, and I'll call you to a country in a city that had 11 million people. There's nowhere I could go where I'd be myself. Um, no one is on time. There's very little structure. There's very little consistency. And beef is taboo. So just for context, like, God uses our weakness. Oh, and one other thing. I longed to be married. And so my encouragement to, again, everyone that could be single, but in particular the college and the young adults, your singleness does not define you. Don't let your singleness 
limit your obedience to Jesus. Obey him. I'm living proof. I went to this country single, and I, when I came back, I was married with a kid. So God will see you wherever you are. He will see you wherever you are. If I would have allowed my singleness and my desire for a spouse, and there's nothing wrong with that desire. I want you to hear that. Long for it. Believe for it. Pray for it. But ultimately, your singleness doesn't define you. And if you're married, that doesn't define you. Who he says we are is the primary definer. If I would have let my singleness determine my obedience, I never would have gone. And the fruit of this is by me saying yes. That was the exact thing that my now wife was looking for. She was looking for a single guy who had a heart for the nations. And I was the option. So, <laughs> so I just want you to know, I didn't have everything figured out, but I had a yes in my spirit. And I want you to know, as I was praying about this opportunity, a year after I got back from this short-term trip, I had the opportunity to go back. And as I was praying, I was hearing nothing. I did everything I knew what to do. Pray, fast, repent, journal. I was hearing nothing. And so I went to some trusted friends that knew this process that I was on, and I said, hey, can you pray for me? They prayed for me, and I have no idea what they prayed. I don't remember. But something shifted where I could hear. And so we need community. We're not meant to do this alone. So I said yes in the step of faith, and I want to say, if we're ever 100% confident about something, that's not faith. Faith requires risk. Now, I'm not saying blank, just be risky for risky's sake, but I'm saying don't feel the pressure of I have to be 100% confident to take that step of faith. So right before I landed in Asia, there was a conference that really changed my life. It was in Germany. It was a powerful conference where all the international people within our movement went and stateside people went. There was great teaching, power of God, present great worship. It was amazing. But unfortunately, I don't remember any of that. I remember an encounter with God. And in this encounter, God spoke two verses to my heart. He spoke Romans 2.11, which says, for God does not show favoritism. And he spoke Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he connected those dots. He connected those two verses. And what I felt God said when he spoke to my heart and gave me fresh revelation was he said, Will, anything I've done in the past, I can do today. And anything I've done through one person, I can do through another person. And I remember thinking, okay, God, that's, that's encouraging, but whatever. And then he made it personal. He said, Will, that means you. That means anything I've done in the past through anyone, I can do through you. I can say a weight was lifted off my shoulders where I finally started getting revelation and insight that God loves me and God can use me in powerful ways. So I land in this country to help pioneer our movement's work in the country. And the first few months blew my grid of what's even possible we saw the book of Acts come alive. 
In the first few months, we saw blind eyes open, deaf ears open, broken bones healed. I think we saw one cancer healed and one AIDS healed. When you see that, it changes you. You know, it marks, like Jamie's been saying, we can't read the Old Testament anymore without the revelation and vision of Jesus is king and that Jesus has come back from the life, from the cross. We can't undo that. When you encounter the power of God in that way, it wrecks you. I can't go back to be like, oh, well, maybe God will heal. No, God's a healer. He is a healer. And I believe even today, Jesus wants to heal people. Maybe even right now as I'm sharing. So Jesus, bring healing in this room. We command sickness to leave. We ask that your presence, that people would experience your healing touch and they would be healed. One powerful testimony that, it, that happened was I went to a coffee shop to meet someone who I was trying to invest in. And I went to him and I said, hey, are there anyone that you're working with that has, is sick or anything? And he said, yeah. So he brought two deaf girls over. Keep in mind, we're in a coffee shop. So imagine like Starbucks. And I had the two girls that were deaf lay their hands on their ears. And then I prayed a simple prayer. Something like, Jesus, come. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we trust you. Amen. And I had them take their hands off and they snapped their fingers and their eyes shot open. They could hear. God is still healing today. And it's encouraging because as we hear stories like this, it's a reminder that God is still moving and God's inviting us into his story. We had the opportunity to share with people that had never heard before. I can say there's few things more rewarding than this. Two stories real quick. One, we had a college girl come out on a short-term trip. So college kids, God can use you today. You don't have to have everything figured out. So this team went, they shared the gospel with this girl that we'll call Sally. Um, and somehow the local's contact did not, Sally's contact information did, did not get passed off to us. And she said, yes, I want to put my trust in Jesus. And so after one year, one of the long-term members called her up because we got her contact information, not expecting much because this girl had been by herself for a year. And so the long-term member called Sally and said, hey, you want to meet up? She said, yes. Well, come to find out, Sally still wanted to follow Jesus. She encountered the living God, and she was changed. This girl is now boldly going for Jesus. She's faced persecution amongst her family, and she's loving Jesus, all because somebody went. And before Sally had accepted Jesus, she knew of no one in her family that had ever followed Jesus that had ever followed Jesus. Think of how her family lineage is forever marked and changed because somebody went. Somebody said yes. Another story is one night I was going out to tell people about Jesus and I felt God say a specific spot to go. So I went to this specific spot and I was like, okay, God, I'll wait for you. And this just happened to be at the entrance of a mall where a lot of people were going up to a, go to a club. And so God highlighted someone. I went over to share the gospel with them. And, you know, I'd 
been doing it for a while, and so I kind of knew, okay, I, I'm prepared for just about any situation. I've heard just about anything. Well, then God threw a curveball at me. And so I start talking to this guy, asking about his faith background, and he says, I'm Jewish. Now, he was a local. I don't know many nat- native people in Asia that are Jewish. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, God, what do I do? And I felt like God gave me an idea. I had a Bible in my backpack, and the idea that came to mind was pull out your Bible, open to Isaiah 53, and say, hey, I'm a Christian, you're Jewish, I would love your perspective on this. That's harmless. So I'm pulling out my Bible, and he says, oh, by the way, I only read the Pentateuch. And I'm like, well, Isaiah's out. So I'm like, okay, God, what do I do? And I felt like God said, Genesis 1. I'm like, okay. So I open to Genesis 1, and I have him read the part where it says, and God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so I did the same thing. I said, hey, I'm a Christian. You're a Jew. Jew. I would love your perspective on this passage. So I read it, and I see him, and he goes, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He looks up, and he says, wait, Jesus is God? And I said, yes, he is. And so I share that because that's not something I could do. That's something that only God can do. And so I believe that Matthew 24, 14 has to be a directional word for all of us. And it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This, I believe, needs to be a directional word for all of us and needs to affect everything that we do. Because according to this verse, Jesus cannot return until all have had a chance to hear. There are over three billion people alive today that have never had the chance to hear. That's sad. That breaks my heart. That there's three billion people who have never had the chance to hear. I don't know about you, but I am tired of hearing of sickness in this earth. I'm tired of hearing about another mass shooting. I'm tired of hearing of racism, of just sin destroying our world. I'm tired of it. But we're all called to go. We are all called to help fulfill Matthew 24, 14. Now, some, for some people, it's going to your coworker or your neighbor or your family member. Or for some, it's called to go to a different country. Because Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you to. And as we follow the Great Commission, we get revelation of who he is and who we are. And I want you to know, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are an adopted son of the living God or adopted daughter of the living God. And we have to know who he is before storms come. And I can promise you they will come. We have to know who he is when they can, before storms come. And I can say one thing that my family has needed to lean on these past few years is a deep trust that God is good that he is good. Again, we have to know that he is good and set a deep resolve that he is good.
before we actually need it. He is good all the time. He is better than you can imagine or I can imagine. I want, you to, I want you to know that he is good when we are seeing answers to prayer, when we're seeing friends saved or family members saved, when we're seeing the power of God, when we're seeing revelation. He is good. He is good when, when you're at a life group in Fort Worth a few years ago and a friend's back is healed so he can play with his kids pain-free. He is just as good when we are waiting for promises that we haven't seen answered yet. He is just as good, and he is good when I wrestle with God almost on a daily basis why God has used me to heal people, why I've seen healings, and yet I'm still waiting for my healing of a neurological disease that I was born with. He is good, and I want to say confidently, he is a healer. Whether I ever experience the healing that I'm believing for or not, he is a healer because it's who he is. He is good when I got kicked out of the country that I lived in for eight years and never able to enter that country again. He is good. He is good when, for security reasons, I couldn't tell some people what happened and why I couldn't go back in for security reasons. He is good. He is good when after I got kicked out, my wife and five-month-old daughter at the time had to travel back in to this country, pack up our stuff, wrap up relationships, and pack stuff in suitcases because that's all we could bring out of the country. He is good when the body of Christ rallies around your family in that time from around the world and essentially helps you furnish a house in Fort Worth to set up your new life because we had nothing. All we had was stuff that we can fit in suitcases. He is good. When five months ago, my family entered a medical crisis, when I got a call from my doctor saying, Will, I'm putting you in touch with a neurosurgeon because you need brain surgery, probably within the week, because you have a cyst on your brain. He is good when the body of Christ surrounds our family like it has over these past few months and has given meals, helped provided practical support. He is good when friends rally around our family and help plan Anna's sixth birthday party because a week before her birthday, I'm laid up in the hospital recovering from brain surgery. He is good. He is good when I going in in the next week to get a biopsy on two tumors in my neck. He is good when apart from a touch from him, I will live the rest of my life with a possibility of more surgeries, more tumors growing. He is good and he is a healer, period. Not based on my circumstances. He is good. I realize and know that this isn't easy. And I want you to know, I have not done it perfectly over these past few years. I haven't. There's been times where it's hard. There's times when I've doubted. But we need to land that he is good all the time. And we need community. And so this is my, one of the things I love about Life Group. We're meant to do things together. And the story that comes to mind is of Aaron, her, and Moses, where there's times where I get to be an Aaron or a her 
and you get to be an Aaron and a her, where we can lift up the arms of our brothers and sisters that are trouble and going through our times. And there's times that we get to be like Moses, where we're like, I, I don't have the strength to lift up my arms. And we've got community around us that can lift us up. I have needed that more in the past few months than I think at any point in my life of just saying, I can't do it again. I can't hold my arms up. I need help. It's okay to admit you need help. It's okay. And so it's important for us to know God's story because I'll let you in on a little secret. God was moving before you and I were born. He was doing things in this earth before you and I were even born. He is doing things now. And he will be doing things long after you and I are gone. I've said this repeatedly, but I want to say it again. Jesus is good because of who he is, not just because of our circumstances. We need to let his goodness, his character, shape and filter our view for our circumstances, not our circumstances to shape and view who he is. So after Elizabeth and I got kicked out of the country six years ago, we were praying through big questions. God, what do we do? What were you calling us to? And we had set the resolve before we made the decision of three things. Number one, Jesus is good. We made the resolve of he's good. Number two, we will obey him no matter what no matter what our parents think, no matter what our friends think, no matter what we think. He's Lord. He's in charge. And three, we will be plugged into the local church. And so as I wrap up, I want to leave you with some questions. And my encouragement is take these questions and spend time this week processing, journaling them with God. Number one, first question, what was the last thing God has asked you to do? And am I obeying that? Number two, what is an aspect of God's character that you're wanting revelation in? And number three, where have I allowed my weakness to limit my obedience to Jesus? Okay, so I'd like to invite everyone to stand. I'd like to invite the band and the ministry team to come up. And as the ministry team is coming up, I'd like to invite people. If you said, Will, I don't think I know this God, this God that's good, this God that loves me. If that's you, come up to one of my friends up here and they would love to pray for you and introduce how you can start this relationship with Jesus. Or you can come with your neighbor or someone that you came with. If you need a healing in your body, get prayer. I believe Jesus not only can heal, but wants to heal. And I believe Jesus can heal, will heal people today. But we have to take that step of faith. And third, if there's any other needs that you have, please come up and get prayer. This is the most important part of the sermon, most important part of the service. Let's, let's minister to Jesus and let's get the ministry that we need.